welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hey everybody, I am excited to have on the line with me today someone who I bumped into at the ATA trade show in Louisville back in... Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 261, the replay of Winter Turkey Hunting with Rob Keck. And I am your host and the guy who's wondering if he sounds just a little bit older than when you heard him last week. Last week I was a young man. This week I'm an old man having celebrated the anniversary of the world being graced with my presence. <laughs> I had a birthday Sunday and turned the big 4-9-49. And no, I don't think I'll be hanging on to it next year. I think I'll just let it roll on over to 50, good Lord willing, and we'll see what happens from there. But I had a great birthday. I got to spend some time with my parents course my lovely bride and our son and it was a great day all around so listen i hate to do this to you guys but i am still so far behind at work that i've got to make my part of this week's episode short and sweet for you guys so this week i've got the replay of winter turkey hunting with rob keck where he talks about going to the midwest in January and hunting huge winter flocks of wild turkeys. This is a great episode and it's been a long time since I've listened to it and so I wanted to bring it back to you guys as well just as a little bit of a refresher for you and me of course. So let's get into this. Here is probably one of maybe four or five turkey hunters that need no introduction and that is Rob Keck and I will see you guys on the other side. Early January and in my typical fashion, I'm not afraid to go up and talk to anyone, and this was a familiar face to me just from being a longtime member of the NWTF and watching a lot of hunting shows in my lifetime. And so when I saw the face, I had to go over there and talk to him, and the funny thing is, here comes a stranger up to him chit-chatting, and he just jumped right in and played along with me. So that told me right away that Rob Keck, the former CEO of the NWTF and the current host of Bass Pro Shops 
radio show on Sirius Radio was a heck of a good guy, and so I twisted his arm as much as I can. For those of you who have seen me, you know that Rob's a lot bigger than I am, so I don't know how much arm twisting I could do, but I was able to twist his arm to get him on the show, and I'm excited to introduce Rob to you guys. Rob, how are you today, and where are you? Doing great, Andy. I am back home in South Carolina after a Really long January, as you mentioned, ATA. That was just the start of trade shows, conservation conventions, and just a whole bunch of other things on my schedule. So I've been home this week actually preparing for emceeing next week's Western Hunting and Conservation Expo out in Salt Lake City. I'm sitting here, I'm looking out my back window, I'm watching some turkeys right now up in the back field, and I couldn't be happier. Good deal. And that's a good way to start your day off right there. Well, it is. And I think anybody that, you know, thrills to the sight and sound of a wild turkey, when, when that happens, their day is made. And I know it is for, for literally millions of people. And, you know, I think, Andy, a lot of people don't realize that there's folks out there that don't even hunt, but they still enjoy seeing the wild turkey and they enjoy hearing it when it gobbles and you know it it just adds so much to the quality of life for for all americans and you know we as hunters we're going to make sure we take credit stand up and take credit for what we've done and bring it back not only wild turkeys but you know whitetails wood ducks canada geese black bears pronghorns and even our nation's symbol the bald eagle you know we are the first conservationists in this country there is no doubt about that and you know i would put you at the top of that list of those folks who are really pushing the cause and you know your years with the NWTF really moved you up that up to that level but what you're doing now being the director of conservation with Bass Pro just fits right in perfectly with what you started in NWTF and I'll tell you as a lover of the outdoors and a lifetime hunter I thank you for all of your years of service to all of us well thank you Andy I I want to thank the the many people, though, that I was fortunate to surround myself with volunteers and and staff members and and professional wildlifers, because when I was there, we had a tremendous team that really worked hard in the restoration of the wild turkey all across its native range and, and even beyond. And when you look at the wild turkey in North America, I'm talking both north of the border and south of the border, you know, we're looking at something that You know, there were generations that never, ever got to see or hear a wild turkey. And today we are living in the golden years of hunting. And I think we've got to really appreciate where we are and what it took to get here. It took a team effort. It wasn't one guy. It wasn't just me. It was a lot of folks that committed themselves, that had the passion, that emotional gasoline to do whatever it would take to get those birds restored back to some amazing habitat. Very true. Well, before we get into the show... Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you first got into turkey hunting. Well, it was a lifelong uh, ambition, a lifelong endeavor. I I grew up in a family of hunters. But back in the 50s and 60s, not really showing my age, where I grew up in central Pennsylvania, ringneck pheasants were king at that time. And the only pocket of wild turkeys was up in north central PA. But as a kid, I would hang on to every word that somebody, my grandfather, my uncles, my dad would say about wild turkeys. And when I was eight years old, the one thing that I wanted for Christmas was a box call, a Louis Stevenson box call out of Wellsboro, Pennsylvania. And, you know, that interest was there from the very, very start. And I guess the, one of the most memorable starts, you know, everybody thinks about the first thing they've ever hunted. 
Well, mm-hmm. when I look at 1963, it was the actually the weekend. It was the, the day that John F. Kennedy was killed. I was on my way up to northern Pennsylvania with my dad and my uncles. We were going fall turkey hunting. In fact, Pennsylvania had fall seasons before they had spring seasons. Right. And we were going up there to hunt. And I can imagine, you know, just remember back to, you know, the the unbelievable occurrence that had just taken place with, you know, the assassination of our president. But it was that next day I was with my dad. We went across the, the creek up on the side. My uncles went over on the other side. We didn't get into the turkeys. I saw a bunch of sign, but I heard my uncle shooting. We went back at lunchtime to the camp. They left a message there, told us where they broke the flock. And that afternoon, I called in my very first gobbler. And it was one of those that just set me on a course that I live with today. And, of course, as time went along, when I was in college, Carl Brown and I and a friend, in, for spring break in 1969, we went to Alabama, went to uh, the Coosa Wildlife Management Area, all oh, yeah. the two gobblers on that hunt. And those were my very first spring gobblers because at that time, Pennsylvania only had a spring season for one year. And I had a taste of it. I wanted more of it. And spring break just felt the right time. And, you know, went on from there to a teaching position. I was in Perry County, Pennsylvania, and it was what I consider today still the turkey calling capital of the world with many great calls and callers coming from that area. And, you know, I went to listen to some turkey calling contests and I mentored under some some great great examples and fortunately in 74 won the Pennsylvania State Championship went on won some other regional championships then won the U.S. Open and then eventually won the uh, world championship down in Mobile Alabama and so that really gave me a jump start and at that time there in, in the mid-70s, NWTF was beginning to, to establish chapters. I was at the very first Pennsylvania State Chapter organizational meeting at State College, and I got to know a lot of, of volunteers that were involved, and then the opportunity came to travel to South Carolina and take on the position of Director of Chapter Development. In 1981, was offered the top position, and uh, was the CEO for 27 of the 30 years that I was there. And so it really gave me a chance to to see and hear and really be a part of this new movement of turkeys and turkey hunting. Because when I came to the Federation, there were only 30 states that even had spring turkey seasons. And, you know, we had a, a great challenge ahead of us, but a great team that took on that challenge and completed restoration. And I can tell you, it's just one of the the, the great memories and, and very fortunate to have been part of. Yeah, that's a great story. And at some point throughout all of that, you decided you were going to dedicate your career to that. So that's very admirable of you. Well, you know, back before he went with Federation, I was making calls in the basement just like a lot of other guys. And, you know, I was sort of faced with a choice, move from teaching into call making or moving from teaching into you know, taking on a, a role at the NWTF, which at that time there were only six people there on staff. And, you know, it was really uncertain how well this uh, organization was going to do. It was amazing. There was a lot of reluctance from uh, existing turkey hunters for the Federation. And it may come as a surprise, but in their opinion, they thought that this organization was going to do nothing but create more turkey hunters and more competition for them. And it was a hard sell at the very beginning. So as time went along and as we 
began to really expand those flocks of birds, then people started to understand that, yeah, there's going to be more turkey hunters, but there's also going to be a lot more wild turkeys. Right, yeah. That's a very neat story to hear about the organization in its early formative years and and those obstacles. That's pretty interesting. The things that, as a turkey hunter, we tend to keep a lot of information very close to our vest, and we don't want to reveal our favorite turkey hunting spots. And I can't tell you how many lies I tell during turkey season. Did you hear anything gobble? No, uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. I never hear turkeys gobble at the club, but to be able to show people through proof that you're growing the flocks and giving them more opportunities, and yes, that does free up. Well, the excitement you know, that it created. Opinion. I mean, people were seeing turkeys where they hadn't been for a hundred years. I mean, it yeah. made news, and that was something that I really made a priority. I wanted to unlock this best-kept secret in the conservation world. You know, there were a lot of people out there that had no idea where these turkeys were coming from. general public thought, well, they're just raising them on a farm and turning them loose. Right. Of course, we know it was wild trap and transfer that made the difference. And unlike way back uh, in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and in Pennsylvania right up through the 70s, you know, it was pen reared releases that were unsuccessful and a waste of millions of dollars. And, you know, it was only with the advent of the cannon net, which later then morphed into the rocket net, and then into utilizing some, some drugs that were also used in capturing birds and then relocating them into suitable habitat that things really started to happen. And so we had a tremendous educational challenge in front of us, and even more so an educational challenge on what was it going to take to continue to have birds, to manage them properly. And so I made it a point that uh, we were going to unlock this best-kept secret in conservation. And when I hired Tammy, Tammy Sapp, who was my vice president of communications, we built a staff that told that story. In fact, I'm going to share with you, you know, you mentioned television, and, you know, it was way back in the Nashville network days, the TNN days. I went to uh, David Hall, who was president of TNN at the time, and I said, David, I want to put a turkey hunting show on the air, and I want to do it in first and second quarter. He laughed at me, and until that time, first and second quarter on outdoor television, which was really limited to TNN and ESPN2, It was limited to just fishing shows. Hunting shows were always in third and fourth quarter. And he said, it'll never work. I said, you don't understand turkey hunting and turkey hunters. We finally relented after repeated requests. And he said, I'll put you in the death slot. We'll put turkey call television at 8.30 Saturday mornings. But what he didn't realize was that was the only hunting show on TNN first and second quarter. Well, guess what? Anybody that hunted and had an interest in hunting, they were tuning into Turkey Call. Well, ratings went out the roof. The very next year, we went into prime time. And, you know, I really look back at that period as a time of being a pioneer in outdoor television because we broke the mold, and it was turkeys that did it. And, you know, we were able to tell a lot of great stories, not only hunting, but about the great conservation work that was taking place as well. Right. You know... 
I would love to talk to you all day long about the, those formative years of the NWTF and what you did to really help, first, first of all, establish the mission and then accomplish the mission of growing the population of wild turkeys. But, you know, when I bumped into you at the ATA and told you what I was doing about the podcast, and I said, I'd love to have you on the show to cover a topic, and I've got a list of topics we can choose from. And you stopped me and you said, oh, wait, 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 I've got the topic that I want to talk about. I want to talk about winter turkey hunting. And so today, that's what we're going to talk about. Okay. So seriously, I would love to have you back on and love to talk about what, you know, those formative years at the NWTF, but also what you're doing now with Bass Pro and helping to promote not just wild turkeys, but really all of the game animals that, that you're helping to conserve and really grow populations of. So maybe we can schedule another time to get you back on the show, maybe after turkey season's over. That sounds great. But let's do jump into the winter turkey hunting. But before we do, I want to see if I can talk you into playing along with the rapid fire Q&A that I've started doing several months ago on the show. Go for it. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I've got a list of 30 questions. I'll go through these questions as quick as I can with you. We'll time it and see if you can beat the fastest time that anyone has gotten so far, which is Adam Prouty with Prouty Game Calls, and that's 2 minutes and 53.96 seconds. So he blew through these, but let's see what you can do. All right, go for it. All right, I'm going to start the clock as soon as I start the first question, and we'll just rock and roll through these. Wild turkey, grilled, baked, or fried? Grilled. Wild turkey, on the rocks? Rocks. (laughs) Number of grand slams? Uncountable. Have you ever killed a bearded hen? Yes. Ever killed a Jake? Yes. 10-minute successful hunt on a 2-year-old or a 4-hour long hunt with a clean miss on a 4-year-old? Sure. (laughs) Favorite camo pattern? True timber. Wild turkey legs for dinner or for the dog? Dinner. More or less than five strikers in your turkey vest? More. State you killed your first turkey in? Pennsylvania. State you killed your last turkey in? Kansas. Sit in a blind for four hours and squeeze the trigger or run and gun for one hour and not shoot? Run and gun. Rios or Osceolas? Rios. Rios or Easterns? Easterns. Easterns or Merriams? Easterns. Field turkeys or woods turkeys? Woods. Shotgun scope, rifle sight, holographic sight, or beads? All right. Rubber boots, leather boots, or snake boots? Snake. Favorite place you've ever hunted? I didn't understand that. Favorite place you've ever hunted? I still don't understand it. All right, let's skip it. Most turkeys you've ever killed in a season? Won't tell. Least number of turkeys you've ever killed in a season? Won't tell. (laughs) Out of all the states you've hunted, which state has the most uncooperative turkeys? South Carolina. If you only knew how to imitate one turkey sound to call turkeys, what would it be? Yelp. Best turkey hunter you know? My dad. Favorite turkey hunting book? McElhenney's book. Who taught you how to turkey hunt? My dad. Think of the toughest turkey you ever hunted. Did you kill him? Nope. Do you prefer long, sharp spurs or long, thick beards? Long, sharp spurs. The biggest mistake new turkey hunters make? Patience, without. Your most favorite aspect of turkey hunting? Sharing it with kids. How long does turkey season last in heaven and what is the bag limit? Unlimited. Oh, let's see. Rob, I think you killed this. You, yeah, you did. I've got two minutes, 33.58 seconds. <laughs> you beat Adam Prouty by 20 seconds. That is pretty dang strong. 
Well, I don't know but about did, that, but anyway. We did blow through those, but I've got two other questions I want to ask you. Sure. I, the timer's off. The stopwatch is stopped. All right, so remember I went Rios or Osceola's, and you said Rios. Mm-hmm. I said Rios or Easterns. You said Easterns. I said Easterns or Miriams. You said Easterns. Easterns or Goulds? Well, that's a that's a tough one. You know, let me let me just say this. I think that any place you go has its unique, beautiful, and challenging characteristics. And I think that it all depends on the given day, your attitude. You know, I love the mountains of the Sierra Madres in Chihuahua and Sonora. But I also love some of the country that you find Rios, Easterns, Miriams in as well. And so, you know, gosh, it, it really it really depends. But I think the most satisfaction comes out of killing the toughest turkey that there is. Oh, yeah. I don't disagree with that. That was fun. I appreciate you playing along with that. Sure. So we are going to talk about winter turkey hunting because I could see that spark in your eye when you started talking about it when we were at ATA. So tell us a little bit about how you first got into winter turkey hunting. Well, first of all, having worked at the Federation and looking at all the seasons on a, on a big board, you know, I look to see where I can extend my season, where I could extend opportunities. And of course, growing up as a fall hunter, I've always loved fall hunting, unlike a lot of turkey hunters out there. And when I saw the opportunity in Kansas, when I saw that they ran that season from October 1 to January 31, and it was only closed during the gun deer season, and in one unit, in fact, it's unit two, you could actually legally take four birds. I said, man, I got to try that out. And so when I made that first trip, what really was just so impressive was that I knew there were going to be big wintertime flocks, but I guess I wasn't prepared to handle a flock of 400 or 500 birds. And then beginning to segregate out, look for those adult gobbler groups and seeing 75, 100 or more, it was just awe-inspiring. In addition to that, not only the site, but when you put that many turkeys together, you have never, ever heard so much turkey music in your life. You'll hear every sound that a turkey can make. I mean, from, from gobbling to yelping, from challenge purring and fighting calls to lost calls. And all that together just said, man, that is powerful. And I started taking my daughter Heather there. I took friends there. And the thing that was amazing to me was nobody else was hunting. If they were, I never ran into them. And I've done it many, many, many times. And so why wouldn't you want to go back and do that repeatedly? The other thing I found was that if you go after the gun deer season's over, many properties that you couldn't begin to get access or permission to to hunt on, once the deer season's out of the way, those big wintertime flocks oftentimes causing maybe some some damage to, to bales of oat straw or what have you, you can get on a lot of properties just knocking on the door and asking. And all that combined just had a real attraction to me. Yeah, that's pretty interesting and very true. You know, a lot of states on the western side of the Mississippi that deer hunting, it's hard to get on their properties because okay. they're asked so often. But for birds, whether it's upland birds or turkeys, you can get access to a lot of properties if you go about it the right way by knocking on some doors and asking permission. Well, the other thing, too, in a state like Kansas, there's a lot of those walk-in areas. I think there's over a million acres of walk-in areas. And getting access is not that challenging if you just take a little time and, and do a little homework. And that in itself was unique. But 
you know, you asked me about what drew me there. When when did it start? Well, you know, it's it's been going on for I don't know. I can't even count the number of years. But the approach. You know, I had Andrew McKean, the editor of Outdoor Life magazine, on my radio show, and he asked me, he said, what do you like best, spring or fall turkey hunting? I said, neither one. It's winter hunting. He said, tell me about it. Well, here's the way I've evolved with this winter turkey hunting. All of you that have spring hunted, you know what a Jake decoy will do to a gobbler, how he'll come, he'll run, you know, he'll get into that aggressive posture and literally run to your decoy. He'll run to a fan. I mean, just in, in unbelievable uh, ways. And anyway, that aggressive nature is something that those gobblers have. And of course, hens have it within their own hen group as well. That when they fly down in the morning, they're going to be fighting. They're going to be jockeying for that top position in the social pecking order. And so when I watch these birds, when they'd fly down, I saw that constant fighting. I saw lots and lots of strutting. I said, I'm going to challenge these turkeys and see how that works. Do it just like I did in the spring, using a gobbler call, challenge purrs, gobbler yelping, and then using a tail fan, or one of my favorites is just taking one of those Montana strutting decoys you can fold up and put in your pocket right. and uh, go set up. And, and again, there in Kansas, you've got a lot of open agricultural land, depending on where you're at in the state, and then you set up on the edge, put those decoys out that when they fly down in the fields, they can see them, and then I start just wailing away, challenge purring lots and lots and lots on a slate, on my mouth call, gobbling on a tube, and it is just the most amazing experience because unlike the spring where you've got one or maybe three or four gobblers coming in, you may have 15 or 20 or more coming, gobbling in full strut. And it trumps anything that I've ever seen at any other season. And when I told Andrew McKean this story, he said, you know, we've never had that kind of a story in Outdoor Life magazine. Would you write it up? And I said, sure. So if you look in the December-January issue of Outdoor Life magazine, you know, this just a month ago, you'll find that story and find more details about it. And it is just a fun, fun time. You know, when I was at the SHOT Show at ATA back last month, guys were saying, man, I can't wait till April. I can't wait till March. I can't wait till May to go spring turkey hunting. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, why wait? I said, I'm going next week. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? Well, last week I was in Kansas, ended up the season, went out the 31st. And I was there with Carrie Earnhardt, and we were filming a, a new television show called Earnhardt Country. And to see over 50 gobblers at one time in full strut and filming them was off the charts. Abe Appleton, our producer, he has filmed, well, over 20 years at Bass Pro Shops for real hunting, King of Bucks, and he's done lots and lots of filming of wild turkeys all over the country. He said, Rob, this is the most spectacular hunt I've ever filmed. And I said, that's what I've been trying to say. And it's amazing nobody else is doing it. Yeah, that you're right. That is amazing. So what is the difference in the dynamic in the flock from the fall season through the winter season? What's the main differences between the fall and the winter? Well, I think what you have, especially in that country, you've got much bigger flocks together in December and January than what you do when that season opens in October. And, okay. you know, in October... And when it opens up, 
you know, probably the most common way to hunt them is to scatter the flock, sit at the break point, and call them back, which is still a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. But as those flocks get bigger and those gobblers really continue to to grow those gobbler flocks, which are segregated from, from the hens, then you've got such increased fighting that's going on. And it was really interesting last week, you know, the first wave that came up to the call to the decoys, I don't know, there was 15 or 20 gobblers in that bunch. Dang. Carry, I, obviously, I allowed Carrie to shoot first, and we could have easily doubled, and, but we didn't want to do that at the same time just simply because we wanted to, another, another setup for uh, the next kill. Right. And so anyway, we didn't go out and retrieve the bird because the field was just covered in turkeys, and we didn't, we didn't want to run them off. And so I just kept on calling after the shot they left, and it was about 30 minutes later, I was able to call up another wave of them of, I don't know, 20 or 30, and to see them coming in, you know, after a kill, and of course there was that dead one on the ground, it was just, uh-huh. it was so cool to, to see them coming, and you could see them coming from a long way, and you'd see them strut, and you'd see, you know, hear them gobble, and, and uh, there was gobbler yelping, and there was challenge purring, it was just, I mean, it's off the charts, and so... You know, to me, if I have to pick a time, that's the one. Well, I can see why. <laughs> to hear the excitement in your voice, and you're someone who's hunted and killed turkeys in every state. You've killed turkeys in Canada, Mexico, Guatemala, New Zealand. So you, you've been around the block a little bit. To hear the excitement in your voice about it makes me fired up about it. Well, it really is. And, you know, it can take, it can extend your turkey season. I mean, way beyond anything you ever dreamed of because you know here we are now the first week of february and you know in just another two weeks i think it is you could go to the seminole indian reservation i think i think they still don't quote me on it yet to check but they traditionally have opened up like the 15th of february and then the south zone in in florida first saturday of, of march and you know hawaii i think opens march 1st and so this really just, you know, without much of a gap, it takes you right into spring. So you can get the new year started off just perfectly and literally hunt January, February, and then, of course, a lot of the season in the south in March, then April, then May, right up to the 1st of June. So a guy can turkey hunt quite a bit from the first of the year on if he just pays attention. Now, it's not limited to just Kansas. There's some other states, for example, when you look in the east, Virginia a couple of years ago started right. a couple-day season. I'm not sure how many days it is. Just check your regulations. That's in January. Maryland mm-hmm. also has a few days in January. And I think Florida, their fall season actually goes out like the second or third of January. And I know that a friend of mine, an outfitter down there, said that he's had tremendous gobbling there at the end of December. A lot of guys just are missing out because they've only got spring in their mind, and they think that that experience can only happen during March, April, and May. Well, trust me, it can go way beyond anything you've ever thought of. Yeah. So let me ask you a question that you may not know the answer to, but you mentioned Florida runs a few days into January. Mm -hmm. Is that an opportunity to hunt Osceola's or Easterns or both? Do you know? Both. Okay. I, well, let me, so the entire state, I, then, you, I, you think? Better check it out. I know in right. South Florida it runs up into the uh, first couple days of January. I think it went out January 3rd or something like that this year. Again, 
don't quote me. Go to your regs. Make sure you check it right. out. But I know yeah. it was right up there the first couple of days. But, you know, you could hunt in Osceola. Obviously, uh, Easterns, if you went to eastern Kansas, you could pick up Easterns there. You can do it in Virginia, Maryland. And, of course, Rio's in, in Kansas. Kansas. Nebraska, I think they are still running to the 31st of January. You can go up in the Sand Hills and take a Miriams up there. And the other thing, too, when you look at Kansas, look at the bag limit. Somebody says, well, I don't want to make that trip for one turkey. Unit 6 that I was in, it's limited to one turkey. But in Unit 2, you can get three additional tags. And if you go online, it, it, it spells it out right there. So, you know, there's a chance for multiple turkeys during that mm-hmm. season as well. So you mentioned a little bit about how you're hunting these birds. You're not busting flocks at all. No, when I'm when I'm going there in, in like in Jan, like I did last week, I'm just hunting those adult gobblers. Now you can split them, and you can you can do that scatter and call back with them as well. But I like the fact that I got them coming gobbling and strutting, coming into the call, coming into the decoys, and that's just the way I choose to do it because it reminds me so much of the spring season, but it's just on steroids. Yeah. So then it's just a matter of personal preference as far as how you want to call those in and going and doing your assembly call, busting a flock and doing your assembly calls is an option, but there's not going to be that challenge and and those turkeys wanting to fight. They're wanting just to get back together at that point. One of the problems... I won't say a problem, but one of the challenges that many times you face when you hunt out on the Great Plains and you scatter a flock is that you've got so much open country, and they can regroup by sight and don't necessarily have to come back to the break point. And so that becomes a challenge in itself. And so looking at when you break them, how you break them, where you break them will certainly have some impact on the success you'll have in calling them back. You know, if you scatter a flock, you know, let's just say you take one of those flocks of, of 100 and scatter it. Well, they're going to be in some areas that they don't even have to call. They can just see each other. And, right. you know, they won't be like an eastern flock that you scatter that may have had a dozen or so in it that really gets scattered. It's like Tom Kelly says, you can't scatter a flock of turkeys too much in the fall. Well, mm-hmm. I can tell you that the more separated they are, the easier they are to call in. The less separated, the harder they are. And so that open country lends itself to being harder to call back in because they gather by sight. Okay. And I would imagine it's even more difficult because if you have 100 turkeys come in, you bust that flock, there's only so many directions they can go in. So if 15 turkeys land within sight of each other, they're going to group up and they may not be in a huge, huge hurry to go group up with the other 85, are they? You're right. Okay. Okay. So yeah, that does sound more challenging, which, hey, if we're not looking for a challenge, we wouldn't turkey hunt. That's for sure. You know, last week when, when I was in Kansas and we sat down, we watched these turkeys go to roost the night before. And I made sure I knew exactly where they were. I knew exactly where I wanted to set up. And we slid in there under the cover of darkness, and we still had a pretty good moon. We didn't need any artificial lighting to get us to where we wanted to go. But even in the darkness, with so many turkeys, you could hear soft turkey calling going on. And it was pretty cool. Well, anyway, just as it started to break, I hit that tube call and gobbled on it. And when I did, 
it was the most awesome responsive gobbling that went up and down that Walnut River oh, there in Kansas. I can imagine. I mean, it was yeah. just, you know, it was just one that repeated off another and another and another, and it just rolled like rolling thunder. Ah, that's amazing. I can think of the, the times that I've been to Texas, Kansas, Oklahoma, and, you know, to hear... 25 turkeys in a tree gobble mm-hmm. is amazing, you know, to hear that in the springtime. I can only imagine when you're talking about 100, 150 gobblers in a very large group, what that would sound like. That I, I mean, golly, that, that sounds awesome. Well, not only hearing it, when they fly down, I mean, last week, it was after we made the kills, we went back the following morning just to, to, to video birds Mm-hmm. I counted, as I mentioned, over 50 strutters. There were others that were in half strut that I didn't even, or in aggressive postures that maybe strutted later, that I didn't even count. But to see that many at one time in one field is something that is just off the charts. I mean, for all of us that, you know, we just live to see a turkey strut, and of course to hear him gobble, but to see that many of them, it was just, it was something you never forget, and it's something that you don't want to end, and it's something you want to go back and do. You know, another thing that I found interesting, as we were doing all kinds of cutaways and beauty shots and that kind of stuff, off on the other side of the river, we didn't want to mess those turkeys up, and we heard calling throughout the day. It just wasn't limited to the roost. When you've got that many turkeys, they're going to make some noise. And like you always knew where there were some turkeys. And that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. So we built up this huge excitement about winter turkey hunting, but how does winter kind of complement spring turkey hunting? Well, I think that you you just have spring turkey hunting on steroids when you look at winter turkey hunting. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize that those turkeys are going to gobble any month out of the year. But, you know, what we were seeing, and in fact, in the last day that we were there, we were just filming and watching. I saw a real transition. We had very warm weather last week. In fact, last Friday, it was 73 degrees in, in Wichita, Kansas, which is unheard of this time of year and didn't have any wind. But we saw groups of 15 or 20 gobblers that were starting to move off, that were breaking away from the big flock. And so you're at this period where flock breakup, you're right on the front end of it. And, you know, as you move into February and certainly beginning of March, those flocks are then splitting up. Some of our radio telemetry that, you know, I was involved with when I was at the Federation, you know, we saw eastern gobblers that would move 5 to 25 miles from the winter range to the spring range. A lot of people don't realize how far they move. Right. Well, when they begin to break up into those smaller groups and then the smaller groups and then the individual gobblers, I mean, it's amazing just how far some of them will travel. And so we were seeing a little bit of that last week. And I'm sure as we get closer and closer to the spring season, you know, that group of 50 goes to 25 and that 25 goes down to, you know, groups of a half dozen or more. And they're just traveling, going up and down that river and spreading out. And so to me, it's just, uh, you know, you're at the front end of the spring gobbler season is what you're looking at. Yeah. And that is where a lot of that fighting and challenging comes from is them establishing their territory. So, yeah, very interesting stuff. And that sounds just like a heck of a lot of fun. And I'm going to be sure I read your article in Outdoor Life. That sounds great. So 
the show you said is called Earnhardt Country? Yeah, it's it, we were yeah. actually just filming the very first show. We've got a lot of work yet to do. We've got a couple of networks that want it. We have not made that decision. It's produced by True Timber Outdoors, which is a Bass Pro Shop property, and it is one that's going to reflect the story of the Earnhardt family outdoors, especially with Dale Sr. and the outdoor ethic, the outdoor interest, his passion for hunting. And we'll be interviewing, you know, different partners that he hunted with in different places that Dale hunted in. And of course, seeing it through the eyes of Dale Jr., through Carrie Earnhardt, and even tell some of the stories about Dale Sr.'s dad, who was an avid, avid hunter and the impact that it had on them. And it's all in the, the developmental stages yet, but pretty exciting. Yeah. So will you possibly give me a call or shoot me an email when you know what station is going to pick that up yeah. and when that episode I'll, may air? Cause I, I will know do that. I know it will also be streaming on Bass Pro Shops, electronic media, when okay. we get that thing up and running. But anyway, we're pretty pretty excited about it, certainly with you know the involvement of the entire Earnhardt family. And, of course, all the ties with NASCAR and just a lot of uh, really interesting people that, that Dale Sr. hunted with, you know, through, you know, his career. Right. Yeah. Well, I know that a lot of people listening to this show are racing fans and would love to learn more about the show. And also because they're turkey hunters would love to to see that part of it as well. So when that episode is ready to roll out, if it's on Bass Pro or if it's on a network, please do let me know. Yeah, I'll I'll get word out to all of the listeners of this podcast, and I'm sure that'll – I know I'll be on the site or or glued to the TV to watch that one because I can only imagine what that's like. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And last week uh, it was just that. I know Carrie Earnhardt said to me, he said, I've put turkey hunting a lot of places – for a lot of different turkeys that I've never, ever experienced anything like what we had there in Kansas. And he said, what a great way to, to kick off this series. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, tell us a little bit about what you're up to and a little bit about your radio show as well. Well, I am fortunate to work for Johnny Morris, as most of you know, the uh, chief fishing officer of Bass Pro Shops, the founder. Uh-huh. And, you know, he's given me a lot of different opportunities. I serve in the role of the director of conservation along with Martin McDonald, also on the Redhead Pro hunting team. So we've been involved in lots of different television productions. Also host our weekly radio show, Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, heard on Sirius XM channel 147 on every Saturday morning, 10 Eastern, 9 Central. And it covers everything outdoors from hunting and fishing to conservation to some of the latest issues that hunters and anglers are being faced with. And it's been a lot of fun with the many, many guests that we've had from all across the outdoor world and continue to just to grow that. Folks at Rural Radio have been been just super to work with and lots of fun. They're based in Nashville. Uh, Some of you watch RFD TV. It's all part of that rural media group. And uh, we get a few shots on RFD TV from time to time as well. Fantastic. Well, Rob, I greatly appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. It's very busy for people who don't know the outdoor industry. This is a very, very busy time of year for everyone, the outdoor riders, but the professional hunters, the TV show host, radio show host, with all of the trade shows and everything going on this time of year. It is extremely busy, and I greatly appreciate you taking time out of your day to 
come on the show and talk to us about winter turkey hunting and kind of the early formative years of the NWTF and some of the things that you guys did there when you were there to, to help grow the population of turkeys and not only that, but to grow the sport. So, and it's, it's an honor for me. I'll be glad to, to come join you at any time. Lots and lots of turkey hunting and turkey conservation information I'd love to share with, with people. And, you know, I've been privileged and I've been blessed in, in so many ways. You know, I've got a very supportive wife and family that's allowed me to, to travel and to be away uh, from home on many different occasions when it wasn't just hunting, uh, whether it was spending time on Capitol Hill or in state capitals working and lobbying for the kind of things that we as hunters have to have if we're going to pass on this great hunting tradition. And anyway, I'd be glad to come back and discuss any aspect of of that uh, that you'd like, and truly an honor. That would be awesome. Let's see if we can get something on the calendar, maybe for mid-May or something like that. Well, May's still turkey season, so let's... It is in my book, but... (laughs) That's right, that's right. So we need to probably move that back a little bit to mid-June and maybe see if we can get you on and talk some more of that conservation and, and things that are going on in the world of politics and government that we need to be aware of. And I, I think everybody needs to understand that hunting is conservation. So many times it gets isolated out. And quite frankly, if we didn't have hunting, we wouldn't have wildlife. And it's something that improves the quality of life for all Americans. We've paid the way through our licenses, our permits and stamps, but also through that excise tax and firearms and ammunition. And, uh, you know, we need to stand up and proudly say that we're hunters because we have made the difference of having wildlife. We're the envy of so many people around the world for what we have here. You know, Gary Player, the great golfer, the legendary golfer from South Africa, I was with him last year. In fact, he was on my radio show with Jack Nicholas. And he said, you know, we as Americans, every day that we wake up, we ought to kiss the ground that we walk on. We take it for granted for what we have, and we are truly blessed. No doubt about that. Rob, thank you so much again. I really do appreciate you. And I wish you luck this upcoming spring. Take a second and tell us some of the places that you already know that you're headed off to turkey hunt this spring. <laughs> Just a few of them. Well, South Carolina, certainly. We opened up earlier this year. We're, instead of here in the Midlands and the upstate, we're going to open the 20th of, of March. And this year will run till uh, the first week in May. So, anyway, I'll be spending time here. I've got a lot of guests coming in. But that's some pretty neat hunts. I'll be back out in Kansas. I'll be the uh, MC for the Virginia Old Dominion turkey hunt. So I'll be up there in Virginia. Love, love Virginia. I'll be in yeah. Pennsylvania as well. Also, have a really neat trip uh, lined up with the great, great grandson of Theodore Roosevelt, our conservation, our greatest conservation president, Simon Roosevelt. We'll be up in a place called Clove Valley, New York. Also, be out in northwestern Nebraska with some friends there from Sportsman for Fish and Wildlife. And, of course, when you fly into Rapid City, you can probably hunt within a three-hour drive, well, maybe take up to as many as a dozen or more turkeys when you look at the Indian reservations in South Dakota, Wyoming, Montana. So I'll probably slide across the line and, and chase a few birds there. I'll be in Wyoming at Old West Wild Turkey Shoot, guest of the president of Hesse Wolf Company. And we'll be in Missouri. We'll be there... Uh, 
Richard Childress holds a fundraising event for the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, and they auction a hunt off there in Missouri. I'll be one of the guides for some of Richard's guests, some of the NASCAR people and others. And so those are just a few of the places, and can't wait. I'm just glad I had a chance to hunt last week just to keep me stoked up because my vest is ready. You know, it takes a lot of time. It usually takes one or two hunts to make sure you got everything in place. And I think my vest is ready to roll for the first season. There you go. I never empty mine out. <laughs> well, I always put new stuff and some additional stuff in it. So anyway, it's ready to rock and in, roll. Mine's in the backseat of my pickup truck right now. <laughs> <laughs> season doesn't come in for 40 more days, but I'm ready to go. There you go. Rob, thank you again. You're welcome. I look forward to talking to you again soon and appreciate everything that you do for all of us outdoorsmen and hunters. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Goodbye. All right. I hope that you guys enjoyed the interview with Rob. It was a pleasure for me to have him on the show and get the opportunity to interview him. And it was a pleasure to meet him in person as well when I bumped into him at the ATA show several years ago. But look, it's end of October early November for most of you guys when you listen to this. And I know you're thinking deer hunting, and I get it because the rut is either in for a lot of you guys or it's coming in for a lot of you guys. We still have about three months before the rut comes in for us here in Alabama. So I'm not thinking about deer hunting very much, but you guys are, and I get it. But here's the deal. When your deer season ends, you can still go to Kansas and squeeze in a late winter turkey hunt on public land. And so it's a great opportunity for you to get an early start on your turkey hunting and to get you out of the house. Because come late January for a lot of you guys, you're starting to get a little cabin fever and get a little stir crazy and you're ready to get out and do something outdoors and this would be a great opportunity to do that so give it some thought do some planning and if you make it happen and you have some success don't forget to email your old buddy andy at andy at iamturkeyhunting.com so listen that's all that i've got for you guys this week i'm not even going to ask you for a favor this week other than come on back listen in next week where hopefully my work life will be getting a a little more back to normal and I'll be able to breathe again. In the meantime, I have to say thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.